Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How's it going, man? Ah, I, as you know, I'm in my new place here. And at like two nights ago, like 1130, oh, it's Halloween, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. That day. Two, and I, I think everybody was okay, came through this intersection, two cars, and hit so hard that it sent one of them all the way almost down the hill on its roof. Uh, it was absolutely insane. Um, like, I mean, Bellevue Fire was here, everybody. It was just, but loud enough that it woke me up. Like, and it was. So you put a camera out your deck. I do need to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like in today's day and age, I, I don't want to be, you know, this accused of spying on anybody. So it was yeah. just like, yeah. But uh, yeah. So new neighborhood. Uh, interesting. So I, I hope everything was, everybody's okay. But they were, there was quite a massive uh, presence here. So wear yeah. your safety belt. Right. I, I think, <laughs> I think that might've been an issue. So. Yeah. Oh, that's no fun. Well, yeah. good thing they're close to the hospital. They didn't take them here. There's not. There's an emergency room here, but they. They. I, I mean, and that could have been a trauma, trauma thing. So yeah. 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 Well, that's fun. Yeah. Happy Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Happy Halloween. So I really hope everybody's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did the. I, I went off road for my birthday. Yes. And uh, it was very mild. I, exp- I kind of prepared for the worst and ran into none of it. Um, so I did the. Uh, back into discovery route sections four five and half of six so which is we've never, i've never done six that's the section north of chelant so did you start in chelant or no, you started I, in leavenworth ellensburg ellensburg oh i thought that's three maybe it is no three to four i don't know See, i, don't know. I always get confused because no, th- we did on the monkeys we went three we went up there and then we then we we skipped the section we came back down right four so, so yeah. i went to ellensburg to cashmere cashmere to chelan chelan to twisp technically oh, so that's the section there. we didn't do yeah okay so anyway, get up there. Did you drive through the jungle? I did not. <laughs> I did you not. You didn't take the raptor through the jungle? Come on. <laughs> Only looking for fit. that GoPro. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I went around the back way, which is really pretty, by the cool. way. But um, I figured I would use this as a good autom- Carter Automotive Group tip of the week. So even though I was overly prepared, honestly, I guess it was I was reasonably prepared for the season, but overly prepared for the conditions once I got there. Sure. So whatever. No big deal. Uh, one weird thing I found though is I got up north of Chelan and it was it's freezing up there, but the conditions were great actually. The snow was only like an inch thick, and that's not going to stop any vehicle with decent tires on it on that. But what would stop any vehicle was the twelve trees I had to clear. Oh, yeah, did you take your saw. I did. Good. Not an exaggeration. There was twelve I counted as I went through, but they're all little. It's not a fishing story. It's a yeah, cutting a, story. Yeah, There's it's 12. a cutting story. Okay, There's yeah. twelve, right? So one of the more annoying things I had to deal with, well, was that I had to go. It was like you know you'd go like half a mile. Another tree, half a mile, another tree, half a mile, another tree. But none of these were very big. So I was like, I mean, I had the time, so I'll just keep clearing them, right? Was there a windstorm that came through? Because I feel like most it of that was, clearing needs to be done in the, in the spring. It's from all the fires. The grounds oh, were loose right it. there. So they just fall got over it. anytime you breathe on them. Oh. Anyway, so I go through there and um, I'm sawing and I've got my DeWalt electric saw. No problem. Cuts through them. Like, I'm so glad I didn't have a, a gas saw, by the way, because you have to turn it on and off at many times. <laughs> Would have gotten old trying to uh, pull start one of those. But um, it was the gloves, man. All my gloves have Velcro enclosures on them. So every time I'm taking on and off my gloves, it's just one more annoying step. Okay. What I had, thankfully, in the truck, and because it wasn't like, even though there was snow, it wasn't wet, it wasn't raining, it was actually warm over there, I didn't need a waterproof glove. So I had my uh, cut level two gloves, the pull-on ones from Milwaukee, actually. I think I had them in a promo. Well, they're great because they just pull on and off. I eventually just literally like, I didn't litter, but I was really tempted to just throw my other gloves away because it was so annoying pulling them off. If you're out, if you're doing this, if you're a trail recovery person, if you're getting in and out of your car a lot, if you're at the track a lot, yeah, Velcro gloves are great for long-term use where you're going to have them on and leave them on for a long period of time. 
It's really great for that. Motorcycles, it's just a more secure thing. But when it comes to actual like 90% of the work I do, I don't have gloves on for two to four hours at a time. I have them on for like 10 minutes sure. as I'm clearing a tree. Yes. So if you're looking for gloves, it's a weird thing. But man, it was so annoying that I decided it's like, this is the tip. Make sure you get some without Velcro on the clefts because you'll be taking them on and off all the time. And it gets frustrating, especially if you're wearing wool, like in layers knife, and it just starts pulling at your cuffs. Hmm. The Velcro. Yeah. So anyway, fast on and off gloves, the way to go if you're at a track day. Whatever, yeah. unless you have rules that require something different, because FIA rules would require a Nomex glove that goes sure. up higher. But still, yeah, I was just like, man, the next time I tell them to go shopping, like, it's tempting to go get those ones at Costco or whatever, because they work great. Yeah. Or you get the the nice fancy Milwaukee ones. But I was like, yeah. The Thank ones... you for that, by the way. You got me a set, too. Yeah, those are the ones I, I ended up tossing in the truck. And was like, <laughs> they're, they're, gloves, they're really yeah. nice gloves, yeah. but they are a pain to take on and off. They'll be great for moving bricks, but not so great for working on the trail. Imagine that. So yeah. now all of my gloves in my, in my to-go set, my pack set, are pull on and off gloves. Okay. And they make them waterproof. Makes so. sense. Makes yeah. Sense. Cool. It was just one of those things, man. Did you have a good birthday though? Yeah. You forgot nice... it was your birthday the I last did. time? I, I did. Yeah, okay. Um, it was yeah. a nice easy weekend up in the mountains. You know yeah. how I love hitting off-road and no trail conditions that would stop the raptor for even a split second so Excellent. i could have driven through most of the trees honestly but i was like yeah i'll clear him for the next guy <laughs> you wanted to yeah oh yeah i wanted to until about the fifth one and i was like hmm can you i drive just, through it you just didn't have me up there running in front of the raptor through the snow like last time that's so. true yeah. i didn't have that yeah <laughs> well anyway um well, let's get to our guest this week our guest this week is joseph potter with uh vintage underground which you guys do Boy, fabrication, restoration, and one of the things I want to talk about is electric conversions I saw. I would love to hear more about that. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> we have, have Joe's part of our Avance community down in the Portland area. Yeah. And uh, has been, I think you've been in a, in a, with Avance for like over a year now, haven't you? Oh, yeah. 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 So welcome. It's taken us a while to get you on here, but we're really glad to have you and to get your story out there. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got we stepped into uh, doing the EV thing here. Oh, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, which is a pretty big uh, direction change for us. Um, you know, we're a traditional build shop, uh, restoration and build shop, and so it was. Uh, it's kind of thrust us up into some technologies we weren't used to. Now, I mean, that's that. That obviously that's a step that a lot of people are taking. We're seeing a ton of uh, people taking, you know resto mods and making you know the mustangs and, and taking the, the the tesla packs but how do you go about that where did, did somebody come to you and say i want to do this and you're one of those people that goes yep i can figure it out kind of thing no other way it was it was an interest for me and uh, so i pursued it um for the technology and for the market um and uh, i did find a buyer for the first one i wanted to build um, which was helpful in building it but um yeah but the other way around kind of going at it from a from a business and no uh, the other the other thing kind of setting out on this is i didn't want to do the scavenger approach which is how uh, a vast number of them are being done now when you go find you know uh, i think there's a place down in california it's a wrecking yard for teslas you get motors and batteries and whatever you can find uh the problem with that is it um the only guy that can actually work on the car is the guy that built it based on what software they were using and how they tied things together and made them work. Oh, um, you're talking like Tesla. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's been the way to do it here, you know, is just to go grab uh, crashed Tesla parts, motors primarily and, and what, and batteries and, and retrofit and build a, build a car. We went at a different route, hooked up with um, Cascadia in Washington. And uh, so what we're, installing is full uh fully developed and fully integrated uh 
all the components. So it's a one point software access uh, kind of deal. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, so in there, you're, so you're getting batteries and motors and everything in one package, or is that something you have to source separately? I mean, you can. I uh, I am getting everything through them um, just because of the the ease of chasing it. I'm not um, I'm not a you know I, I'm not a, a part source as far as I'm, I'm an end user, um, and sources for this stuff is are, are growing daily. Uh, we're getting hooked up with a company out of the UK now to do Porsche. Um, and um, so it's it's evolving um, really, really quickly. Uh, yeah, a lot of people I've seen are starting to offer basically kits. I think is Ford offers a I didn't know like that. an engine package and or yeah. well motor pace. What would you call it? Yeah, a motor package. A motor pa- not an engine package. package motors yeah. package, but yeah. Well, I've seen something that's like they're even in the shape of a V8. You know. Uh, yeah. And drop in where the motor, the pro the, the the whole problem with with converting vintage cars to electric is that you're compromised from day one. Um, the thing wasn't designed to accept what you're stuffing in it. Um, so you're trying to find places for batteries. The motor's not so much of a problem, um, although, you know, it depends on how much you're trying to get stuff in there. But, you know, motors are power, batteries are, are, are range. Um, and the more um, battery you can get in there, uh, the better. And that's the trick on these vintage cars is where do you put them? You just buy a Lincoln, a Continental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have a really bad weight range. Well, yeah, you should probably you... take weight out of a Lincoln by putting an electric into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. why a lot of the uh, initial builds were on large cars. Uh, is just trying to find space to, you you know, what like like uh, what EV West, I think, was do, has been doing the Volkswagen uh, conversion for, for years. You know, but you're talking really small range. You know, that's back in the days when 50, 60 miles was, you know, it was like, eh, that's pretty good. Um, and no, nobody's going to buy that now. Um, you know, so we're, we're, uh, we're doing E-types right now and we're targeting, uh, 240. Uh, that's going to be a stretch, you know, to, you know, this regenerative braking, that's everything. So, um, you know, that's the, the trick is to get as much battery, uh, in there as you can on a, on a compromised platform from get, from the get go. Well, yeah, and there's and there's also weight distribution with that as well, as far as playing, finding a place to foot the battery, and then also having it in the right place so that you're not just, you know, wheeling all over the place. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it could it it could help on some, like on an E-type, uh, the XK engine is is heavy as hell, and yes. so you actually end up getting some weight off the nose, and so it, it actually they're they're known for pushing, so they actually it's going to handle better. Uh, something like a Porsche, um, yeah, you're stuffing batteries in the back, but you're also stuffing batteries in the, so you're adding weight to the nose. Um, and I think it might up end up, end up with a little, actually a little bit better handling on a, on a 911 type scenario as well. Very nice. Very yeah, nice. Because it's low and even. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. How did you get into this? Were you always the, the, the typical car person as a kid? Oh yeah, I mean, I just born into it. Um, uh, yeah. My dad is, uh, you know, was the classic in that sense. Always had the old cars around. My dad, his entire life was into the classics, so uh, just pre-war stuff, the big Cads, the Packards, and all that kind of stuff. And he and I built the uh, my first car. Uh, I was a Model A when I was fourteen, so it was just all the way all cool. around it all the time. Kind That's of evolved so from neat. there. Yeah, so I mean, you, you, so your mechanical sense was sort of just uh, going into the garage with your father and learning how. I mean, 
So many people that you're talking about a first car. That was everybody's. That was the first car, yeah. <laughs> not just your first car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was just a, a normal progression from there. I, I I actually went to school and and worked my way back to it. It's uh, I love doing it. It's just I've always enjoyed it. Um, that was just kind of a natural uh, progression. Um, it's a crappy business uh, to be in. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's uh, doing that in the uh, 80s, uh, early 80s and on up through it. It, it was um, it was and, and it is to this day to a certain degree. I don't know why, but it was um, to be a technician. It was just a, a restoration and, and build shops typically just didn't pay well. No benefits trying to pay into the table, all that kind of crap uh, over and over again. And I don't know why in this industry it would always end up like that, um, but it was yeah, it was really. So tell us a little bit of the history of Vintage Underground. Then, how did you guys start? And was it a transition from another shop? How did you take that over and start that? How did you decide to start your own business? I actually, had, uh, my dad uh, has been an entrepreneur his his whole life, and he had a uh, he had a business. And so during the, uh, I spent entire 90s uh 12 years um going in and joining him in that business uh and taking it over over the course of time uh, building it up and getting it sold and getting him out and, and retired so i ended up on the other side of that with okay now what um what it afforded me was uh i learned to run a business and uh it's something that's kind of leaning back to what I was saying before about these businesses not being run well is, you know, I learned how to run a business. So vintage came out of um, all that, a desire to work on these cars and, and have fun, um, but also run a smart business and, um, and, and get these guys paid uh, so they can have a good life and, and benefits and all that kind of, all that crap that I just, it's just ridiculousness is when I was coming up through the system to get rid of that. I mean, you can't ask somebody to be a craftsman and when they're worrying about, you know, getting laid off or whether or not they're going to get paid or medical, you know, uh, medical uh, insurance issues or concentrating on other things. I was having a conversation several years ago at, through one of these with Lynn St. James, and we were talking about this being a dying art and the fact that young kids these days, I mean, even people are vintage in, in our 40s, you know, as much as we love working on cars, the, the idea of, of taking an English wheel and making a fender or rolling, you know, and really doing that is a dying art. And so craftsmen like you are, 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 are sought after and therefore demand a higher price because of the product that comes out of it. Do you five, find it a hard time to find people to do this type of work? Everybody does. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, one of them, you know, that the schools stopped teaching um, trades. And, um, you know, so I've got you know, get people coming coming at you that are in their 30s that want to do this and, and have no background experience. So, um, yeah, it's it's really hard. I, I recruit uh, across the country. I move people here. Um, I pay well. I I have a really a nice environment for them to work in so um and it's you know it, with any kind of business like this where you where there's uh there's craft there's there's skill um you have to have 
uh, good people and you have to draw them in, you know, and, and we're not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not in Berkeley, you know, I'm not even up in where y'all are up in Seattle, you know, we're, we're remote. Um, and so we work pretty hard to, to get people here. Walk me through one of your electric projects. Like what, you said you were doing the E-Type and you're working on going to Porsche with the 911 platform. Have you just only done E-Type so far or what to walk me through the process of doing a conversion like that? I'm going to jump back into that a little bit. Yeah. So it gets a little bit weird. Um, so um, like if you take uh, the classic uh, example up to so uh, at this point, you take a Volkswagen bug, you remove the engine, you with an adapter plate, you bolt a motor where the engine was right to the transaxle, some batteries, and you're down the road um, <laughs> running through the original transaxle. That's how they've done it. That's why those they it was reasonably inexpensive uh, to do that. Um, and a bunch of lead acid batteries and wherever you could stick them. And, you know, 50 miles later, you're it maybe, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're at the end. So that was just, that was kind of the norm for, uh, for the old, old school electric uh, car guys and that that world has changed dramatically and what we're doing uh you know i think i think uh, jaguar actually built an electric e-type i think uh, actually like prince harry and it was drove in it on, on their you know honeymoon or whatever the hell it was and they they made a box that was the same shape as the took up the same space as the engine on an E-type that had batteries, motor, everything, and bolted it in, doing the same thing that they did on those Volkswagens, but backwards, and through the drivetrain and down the road again. You know, I, I'd be surprised if that one had 30 miles of range. Um, you just can't get enough battery uh, in there. So, and it's and it's one of the reasons that um, there's not a lot of people doing E-types is that is for that reason. So, what we our our take on this on the get-go was to do concentrate um, on rear engine uh, or sorry front engine rear drive um, I mean, we primarily do british and italian cars uh, so out of the you know 50s 60s and 70s so front engine rear drive and with the e-type um, we completely fill the space where the engine was uh, with with battery uh, top to bottom and in the back, we completely uh, removed the whole rear suspension. Um, E-types have a hanging cage uh, rear suspension. We removed the whole thing. We completely designed and engineer our own um, rear suspension that contains the motor, the gearbox, uh, and as much equipment there as we can. So we're direct to the road. Our motors are direct to the road. So we've got um, regenerative braking and all that. We don't have any losses through a drivetrain. Um, so we're direct to the road. I got everything there and I can maximize the space for batteries up front. So awesome, great way to do it, but it's, it's a whole nother level of complexity and build as opposed to just stuffing a motor where the engine used to be and running it through an existing transmission. So the builds you're starting to see now, uh, are the complex builds, the ones that are really a lot more uh, has gone into them and just the number of batteries like if you go back to the old days with that volkswagen bug and the guy that stuffed a motor in it stuffed you know however many lead acid batteries that he bought at napa he could you know what was the what was the outlay on that you know um 
a good battery pack for one of my operations, I think is probably forty five thousand yeah. dollars. Um, so it's a whole new level of uh, of game. Interesting. So, I mean, uh, and I don't want to give away the secrets here, but you're not you're not connecting a motor to an axle, which is driving the rear the rear pumpkin, right? You're putting motors on the rear wheels with these Jags, or no, no, uh, we're uh, no? so we're um, uh, we have a motor uh, that has goes it's attached to a gearbox that drives down, and so and the axles uh, uh, like uh, CVs um, okay. drive right out by it. So it's it's okay. Okay. reasonably compact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in hub is coming. Um, it's, well, it's already here, but you know, uh, hub driven motors are, are coming. They don't have them where they have the enough power, uh, to, to be, they're kind of looking at them as, as augmenting right now. Uh, but I don't think it's too far off before we have just hub driven motors, which you can imagine all kinds of interesting, cool things that opens up. It would be weird to get in a British car and get out of a British car and not smell like gasoline or oil. So I'm not sure what that would be like, but, uh, you know. Uh, what's the charge time on something like that? I mean, you're, you're talking about, so you're getting 250 miles of range, but what, how long does it take to charge? Uh, so you're, once again, once you, get it, once you get up to this level of software, we're fast charge. You know, we're, okay. we're no different than anybody else. Uh, that technology okay. is, is, is already there and you can buy it. Um, so we're, we're as fast as anybody else. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that's, it's kind of the thing is that nobody, people have been driving electric cars now and driving Teslas and this stuff. And they, they know what this is. And, uh, my dad bought a Tesla and he drove it down to the middle of California and back and it mapped out his whole trip. And, you know, it was, people have an, uh, an expectation now of this technology. And, um, so I can't go out and create a car that goes 60 miles. You know, it's just, nobody's gonna, it's not gonna fly. And that, those days are that. over. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, you know, lots of level of integration and, and, uh, and capability at this point. Are are you modernizing the interior as well? I mean, I, I would assume you'd need a few screens or something like that to monitor what's going on. Yeah, and it, it's an aesthetic. Um, there's, there's, you'll see guys uh, or companies that are doing conversions, and and there's already companies out there that will create instruments that look like the sock instruments, but they do something else. Um, yeah. There's some really cool stuff that's evolving really fast. Um, so you can do that. You see, so you can create uh, uh, an original looking aesthetic inside. I, I like the cleanliness of a. Uh, of a Tesla dash. I just love the concept that there's just nothing there, uh, that cleanliness. And so I, uh, when I do a rendering, uh, of a build, I'll, uh, I, I try to do that clean. I tried to sell somebody on that. So typically I get shot down because that's, that, that is what people want that they, they kind of want the, the technology, but they don't actually want to see it. Yeah. The sleeper build in a way. Yeah. It's good. Huh. I think it's cool, but I'm not paying the bill. Yeah. <laughs> are you? Are you? So you, are you doing all the design yourself? Are you? Are you the one that's the, you're sort of the in-house design? Uh, personally, or just? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. No, I have engineers that 
work that work for me. Um, so we're okay. all the uh, suspension design and you know we. That's kind of that's what I was kind of saying is this this thrust us into another level. So the company up to this point is a bunch of old school technicians that know how to build cars and restore and build cars. Now I've got engineers and people here that um, you know are designing suspensions um, and uh, taking in this new. EV technology and we're integrating it. So yeah, we're doing all that in, uh, in house. It's really, it's really chucked us up into a, another level. Like two of my, two of my technicians that were just regular car technicians now, um, are on fusion. They draw stuff. It's, it's, it's really changed, uh, our environment. Huh. Are you guys using 3d printing and things like that too, then for your design, like mock-ups? Yeah, well, we use yeah, we do. Um, we uh, we have uh, a real good, reasonably small format uh, printer. It's so one of those ones we can do harder plastics. We end up making parts with it more than we do uh, mock-ups. Um, we end up making a lot of uh, just uh, whatever bezels or shift gates or you know whatever. Uh, we end up making a lot of parts, and that's that's not just true on the on the EV stuff. When you when you get into the British stuff, uh, there's 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 a pretty good support system of reproduction parts, and and they these were reasonably high production cars too. So there's a lot of support. There's a lot of parts that are, you know usually available. You get into some of this weird Italian stuff. We do a lot of Abarth and um, uh, Lancia, and, you know Aurelias and stuff like that, and just weird stuff. Um, and if you can find, if you can happen to find something you're looking for, you know. You only have to sell a child to get it. Um, you know, they're just <laughs> not available, wickedly expensive. And, um, and so we end up making a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, just on a regular, on a regular restoration, uh, out of the 3d printer. Huh. Interesting. I mean, so with your stuff, like I said, you're sticking with British and, and, and Italian. I like that. Are you doing some of the classic restorations of the, of the world, like the Mustangs and things like that? Do you dabble in that? Uh, no, um, it, if you look at the, uh, the, the restoration and build world, uh, guys, uh, the shops tend to be, uh, over the last 20 years, they tend to be really narrow right down to one make, if not model, uh, of what they're doing. And the reason they're doing that is because of the efficiencies. You're doing the same thing over and over again. The part spins, you know, is the same, and it just makes that business uh, um, very efficient. Uh, you know, like I was saying you know, before, this is a shitty business in the sense that it has a, a very high overheads, very high insurance. It takes a lot of real estate to do it, uh, and you got to have uh, skilled labor. So anything you can do to improve efficiency um, is, uh, you know, paramount, and and so these shops are running really narrow scopes, um, to, to, to accomplish that. Now there's still shops out there like me, um, yeah, that are uh, viewing this from a broader perspective, but not too broad. You go back into the seventies and eighties and you still had the classic restoration shop. Uh, they were selling a process, not a, not a, direct aspect of a particular maker model they were still they were selling their skill sets you know back in the old days like white post and all those guys and um and now uh it has narrowed uh down so our 
our little niche in the world is is you know the British Italian 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's about as narrow as I want to make it, you know, because uh, it, it's just too boring. Um, this stuff is a, a lot of fun, and honestly, I had just I picked those because I those two genres because I think they're fun. Uh, you know, you got the eclectic, weird British stuff and whatever you want to describe that stuff from the Italians out of the 50s and 60s. It's just really entertaining stuff. Fashion statements and cars. Yes. Yeah. What, what's, what is the, I mean, and I know this is an open-end question because I've, I've, I've had a car restored, but I mean, what is the build time? If somebody comes to you, I'm assuming that most of these E-types coming in are not somebody that's pulled off a, a $100,000 car that's immaculate and is going to rip it apart and make it a, an electric. I'm assuming the donor cars are a little rough at times. Well, that's kind of part of my business strategy is that um, there's going to there there's going to be and there are shops popping up all over that'll say they'll do a conversion, right? Um, and and that's fine, but unless you know how to build a car, and if you take it apart and you find rust or you know what I mean, or or you want you want a more complete picture, you're kind of stuck. Now you got to take it to another shop and then take it back to the EV guys and. Uh, uh, um, so, uh, no, that's part of my business plan is that, that, it, that create, this creates more, uh, work for, you know, the paint and body guys, the interior guys, the, you know, the mechanical guys, uh, metal shapers, uh, whatever. So yeah, definitely. And you guys are doing that in-house as well. You have a paint shop in-house? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're adding all this torque and all this fun to a car that, I mean, with British cars, they like to flex as it is. And I mean, yeah. and rust tends to take a lot out of them. So oh, you'd, yeah. I feel like there would be, have to be some reinforcement of some certain things. And like I said, you're, you designed a whole new rear end on it just for that. So. Right. Yeah. You do have to be careful. I mean, you know, the, the torque, torques, torques the problem. Um, Cause you, all of a sudden you have two or three times, if not more, the available <laughs> torque in an instant than you would have had in that car uh, prior. Uh, the E-types uh, that we're doing uh, have a, I'm keeping a reasonably small contact patch on the tires. It's the safety aspect. I mean, frankly, um, you know, the more tire, the more contact patch you get on the ground, uh, the more it's going to go upstream and and the broader the build gets. So um, I guess it'll, you know, it ends up in a situation where um, burn the tires off of it, but um it, you know, you're not going to wrap up the and bend the car uh, trying to absorb the torque. Sure. Okay. Huh. Yeah, because all those British cars, if you don't know, talking to our audience, are very thin packed. Like, literally, the tires that are on the Triumph on my on my spoke wheels. Come, I mean, the guy that sold them to me, they're off of boat trailer tires. Like, they're not exactly meant for high performance, <laughs> like, <laughs> like 165 so, or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, especially if you're if you're going through like those those classic british spoke wheels that they're not very wide i no. think so um yeah are, are you are you making are you putting wider wheels on the rear and things like that for are you or do you want less of a contact package patch uh, we're, we're going slightly larger but yeah okay. i want to limit the contact patch um i don't okay. i mean it, like i say that the more you put in it the more capability you put the ability to put it to the ground the more the car itself has to absorb it and it becomes a safety issue so the easiest safety release is the contact patch um, on on traction now if the software is reasonably advanced it can you know like a tesla i don't know if you've ever been in a tesla and done a go into launch mode and even if you're on kind of dirty tarmac you don't hear the gravel ping in the the bottom of the, the fenders and it's because it has such acute control over slip 
Um, and so you can, you can do that and it'll control the slip, you know? So it's a, people aren't going to really even notice that the contact patch is actually the weakest link because the software is going to be absorbing, uh, any, any skip any, anyway. Yeah. I never thought about that before. Like that makes total sense. Huh. All the things you learn. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, it, yeah, I'm <laughs> doing it in my head. I know he's right. I'm just going, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. 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 It's also a reason you can spin out in one of those cars. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, they have really good traction control in those motors, though. Yeah. I mean, I think I love to see things like this. I love to see restoration. I think a lot of people, I, I, there's a lot of articles out there that really dislike this electric thing, especially doing it to vintage cars. But I think you're still saving the car. I mean, and oh, like yeah. you said, you know, some of the hardest stuff to get for these cars are, are you know, are the engines and the, and the carburetors and the Webers and stuff like that. And doing something like this gives you reliability. I mean, it's going to give you better range. You know, I think it'd be a lot more fun. A um, lot more fun. As yeah. I say, it's not, it's the environmental argument. It's kind of null and void in this area. Since those cars, there's so few of them on the road, they're barely making an impact as it is. Yeah. But they do put a lot of smoke out. Yeah, they me. do. There's yeah. no catalytic kind of conversion, things <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. It is not negligible, I should say, but yeah. I guess it's not. But at the same time, it's nice to keep those cars on the road because as maybe not in our lifetimes, but, in our in children's lifetimes you're going to start seeing gas stations farther and farther apart and fewer of them unless you're in rural areas where you need farm equipment and even that's going to electric so this is going to keep those cars on the road well past our time and that's really cool to see well and we're we're past the you know uh i don't know if we're past it you're you're right it's not the environmental thing is not not relevant in in this uh particular situation because now an ev car is a performance car. I mean, incredible yeah. performance in, in some, uh, in some cases. So we're, we've, we've crossed the line. We can now produce a kick-ass fun car that's electric and, and really entertaining and fun. And it has good, you know, good range. We're, we're just talking performance here. This is, this is normal car performance talk. So we're, you know, that's, that's why this is tumbling starting to tumble downhill so fast is because we've we've crossed that threshold it's doable this is these this is you can build a performance car and have it perfectly viable daily driven you know whatever so this this moment is here um so that's the driving force uh, as i see it i mean i think SEMA's going on this week you know and i yeah. um i usually go but i you know I, I i bet you couldn't count the number of ev performance-minded uh, builds or um, people selling stuff, you know, for that down there just because of that reason. We've it's, talked it's about it. It's a performance it's, thing it's, now. Yeah, it's creeping into the off-road world, which I don't know if I'm okay with. I mean, especially, you know, with Jeep <laughs> having the, you know, the new, the new Jeep. I'm like, I'm like, that's exactly where I want to run out of battery, in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, <laughs> at least in an EV car, I'm on a road, I can get a tow truck. Like, you know, oh, you're in the middle, you're in the middle of the Rubicon Trail? That sucks. <laughs> Get a helicopter. But, yeah, um, good obviously, yeah. from, no, you know, nobody's going to bring standpoint. you a bunch. Of, nobody's going to bring you some electricity in a five-gallon jug. You know. Well, that, and that was the funny part is when they when I remember when Jeep introduced it, like we're going to put charging stations at the front of these trails. I'm like, so we're going out in the environment, and you're going to put in a big, you know, either diesel generator or something that so I can charge up my Jeep. I don't think so. You know? so. I was going to say you'll be packing a generator just in absolutely, case. yeah. <laughs> Which, well, you know, it does works. kind of a. It poses a, a kind of a marketing thing for us because you know my shop is a is a traditional restoration and, and build shop. I've been doing that for a long time, and and we're having a good time. Um, and like you say, this there 
there's some folks that get wrapped up in this. They get, you know, frankly, get pissed off that, you know, uh, at, at doing this. Um, so we, we're trying to separate them as best we can. Um, I, you know, from our perspective, it's, it was just having fun building cars. I, I don't really care what powers it. Uh, you know, I'm, I, for myself, I'm currently building a, uh, a Jag coupe, uh, V12 that I'm, I'm building and doing my whole thing. I, I mean, I, I could build it electric, whatever. I'm just, it's just whatever's entertaining. Um, we don't care. Such a cool, uh, what, what year? Uh, 76. So it's that, um, two door, okay. two door version of the XJ. I think they made, yeah. I don't know, a couple, 3000 of them. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. But talk about a car that has flex. You could you could jack up one <laughs> corner of that car, and the other quite high, and the other three the other three would stay on the ground. I mean, it was just <laughs> like spaghetti. Um, and we, oh man, we had some serious effort to uh, put some uh, structural rigidity uh, into that car. And I'm not I'm not hitting it with a bunch of horse. I think the motors dynoed at like four ten or four fifteen, something like that. Um, you know, it's not like I'm putting. That- you know, turbos and hitting 800 or something, but that's enough. Yeah. I had to do it. Oh yeah. It'll be entertaining. Where'd you you source the V12? Is it the actual Jag V12? Yeah. Did they make one? It is. Oh yeah. 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 They, they had the, the 5.3 liter uh, V12 that they put in all the E types and the XJS for years and years and years. Right at the end, they built a six liter. Um, this is the last couple years. And, um, I I found a car down in uh, Modesto or somewhere, and it had a six liter in it, and I harvested it out of that. So one of the later ones. You, you know, it, I think from the outside world, you know, everybody thinks when you think V12, you think Ferrari, you definitely think Lamborghini. I mean, but I sometimes forget that Jag and other places like that will <laughs> gladly do that. I mean, you know, Mercedes. Yeah, Mercedes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah, BMW. Yeah, I forgot about them. No. Yeah, BMW. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of V12s in the market. There was, I should yeah. say. Yeah, they were never making it. They weren't. They weren't making that much power. Not then. No. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, so what? What did you do to the engine? I mean, have you just, just been restoring uh, it, or? Yeah, so I did a full build on it, um, okay. and it was, you know, I targeted uh, what I wanted it to do. I, I wanted it to be just absolutely bulletproof, dependable, you know, whatever, and have enough power to be entertaining. I think those engines in stock smog form u.s smog form made made like 300 um at the crank and so i've you know i've got a i've added 110 so just they they have a weird head um they have a uh, the compression is actually 12 and a half to one they have this they have this weird double staged head and it was done um to uh deal with fuel economy and um and emissions uh so but it, make, it makes kind of an interesting thing because you can actually hit it pretty hard and, it, and it, you won't get into knock uh, scenarios. So just, so just cams and fuel uh, and triggered right now. Very cool. Uh, that's Very cool. I mean, efficient. Yeah, it's not a term. <laughs> Efficiency and reliability aren't terms I normally associate with British V12, but I, I that's pretty cool. That's always an interesting subject, especially in the restoration world, is when you go to the guy that runs a restoration shop or people that work there and you go, okay, what are you restoring? And, and there's always an interesting story because, you, you know, it's a lot of these guys that, you know, they can restore what they want. I mean, because they, they have the resources to find it, but I, that's, yeah. I take that approach with my contractors right now. I've been working with a bunch of contractors at the house and I've got a cement guy coming mm-hmm. and finally, and I and he was looking at the shop and I said, you know, that was what I told him. I was like, as you look at this, do what you would do in your shop yeah. <laughs> and give me that quote. Yeah. Don't, don't give me anything else. If I'm going to put cars in here, I'm going to do work in here. 
Mm-hmm. Now tell me what you would do if you were in a shop. He's like, this is what I would do. It's like, that's what I want you to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. I want your shop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, you know, we, so now, now you're, go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Oh, I was going to say, you know, it's like, you know, car guy, I mean, us and, you know, the technicians that work for me and, and all, and a lot of guys that do this, um, we tend, tend to not have high end cars. We tend to build something interesting and weird. Um, yeah, and because it's it's just pure entertainment. I mean, the the problem with having, not that I'm going to turn it down, but if you know, if I had a 250 Ferrari sitting in the garage, I'm not going to do anything to it. You know, I'm going to keep it alive, keep it healthy, um, and you know, drive it occasionally, uh, and that's going to be that. But you know, if I have like this Jag and I build the snot out of it and modify it, and you know, it's just just good entertainment. So you know, my lot tends to not have those those kind of cars we tend to have the the fair to midland things that we've done something to well that's that's the fun part and the fact of yeah. having skilled labor like that that knows what they want and i mean like i said i think some of the the people in the car industry that do that like restoration have the best builds like they may they may be ratty looking they may you know they may barely run the rust may be holding it together but there's something interesting about it i think you you know you, you go to places like that and you, know, you pop the hood of like some old ass ford and then under there's a brand new engine that they rebuilt in their garage or in their basement that their wife didn't know about you know <laughs> fun stuff like that well you, you, i worked with this book oh, go ahead go ahead i was gonna say you know you go, go to some of these shows and stuff and you know you see just some crazy ass motor that somebody's put into something and you know it's like why did you do that and it's like well it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> you know it's just like there's no no rhyme or reason to it except that it just wanted to see if you could do it it didn't fit, yeah. and then I moved the yeah, firewall, and it did. So we yeah. made it. Yeah. <laughs> then I got a bigger hammer. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I worked with this body guy back in, uh, I don't know, but I was an estimator back in the day. I can picture his face. What was his name? Anyway, he had this, this older Dodge truck. It was an 80s Dodge diesel. And at the time, when I was working there, those weren't worth that much. But he was a great body guy and a great painter. So what I loved about his is there was nothing special about it. And everything worked, and nothing needed any shape of repair at all. It was a perfect 1980s diesel Dodge. Sure. With that needed not a damn thing. It had no options. It was super basic, but it was like flawless, top to bottom. Yeah, it and ran. It wasn't and there was rust. no rust. It yeah. ran no rust. Yeah. The interior was perfect. Like, yeah, yeah. And I love seeing that because the body guys tended to do that. They didn't have anything over the top. It's just that what they had was really good. <laughs> Well, it was cool finding unmolested old cars. Like I always, I always <laughs> yeah. joke about the fact that you know I grew up in the '80s. I would love to have a '69 Charger, but truthfully, if I had one, I would have it in an original color with original. Like I mean, it would be original because that's the point. You don't see them like that. See, I need yeah. two. I need that one, and I need the one I want to drive, yeah. which is a complete resto mod. Well, that one, that one's <laughs> definitely the Duke's a hazard. But you know, so, yeah. my wife <laughs> always tells me if you don't jump it. Right. <laughs> my wife always tells that's me to quit using that term. He's like, we found this really cool unmolested car. She's like, would you quit? calling cars <laughs> it's weird and i was like no okay but it's you know it, nobody's messed with it then say that that's a good point we used to call the stance molesting them <laughs> we used to call stance car owners the pedophiles of the car world but we think we got in trouble for that <laughs> did we get in trouble for it i mean i think know. we got told not to use that word oh okay well, they, it's, not, it's not like they're going to be able to drive in the parking lot and find us so you know so, you gotta look at it that way 
Well, it was a good last show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you Just said kidding. it. I didn't. Uh, so I'll live on. I'll live on. So, I mean, as obviously, how long have you guys been doing the electric thing? Like just the last few years? About, about a year and a half. Yeah, we just year and a half. Yeah. Okay. After the decision was okay. made, yeah. Okay, then we're yeah. hiring engineers. We're doing the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I just wonder where the world's going to go next with this. Like you know, I was, I was. I, there's a couple of there's a couple of whispers on the wind of people talking about doing literally hybrids. And I'm like, no, either make it gas or make it electric. Don't, no, don't so do freaking hybrid. I like the hybrid thing. Cause I want the instant torque and I want the range. I want to be able to switch it yeah, off and drive about, forever. But you're talking about trying to find room in an E type right now for batteries. And you, you put an engine and batteries in there. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, when I think of hybrid, I don't go to, you know, like Prius. When I think of hybrid, I think of P1. Okay, I think fair. of that where I'm like, no, give me that torque that I want all the time and the ability to drive to work 30 miles. I mean, if you want to, I think there's a P1 drivetrain that's about to go on the market. <laughs> oh, so I know. Out, of, out of Florida, it's <laughs> slightly been underwater, but yeah. Well, if so, you're hybrid, you don't need as much battery. So it's, it's all about range. You know, you're, yeah. you're, whatever the math adds up to, to to get you some reasonable distance. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's that's what I want. That's just me. I get the the idea of going full electric because obviously no emissions, all the instant torque all the time, and it's a, it's where it's, everything's going. But I think there's a sweet spot for both, where I can get a lot of performance out of a hybrid, and I can just drive to work on no gas. Like a, a hybrid Raptor would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's something. I think there will always be something as as an original car guy of sitting in a light in a car with a big engine, and you can you know your, that engine is moving the car. Yeah, the cam loads. Yeah. So, I mean, but I love, I love the idea of an electric British car, mostly because the electricity we're putting in them uh, will work because, you know, it's every, not Lucas, every, it's not Lucas, <laughs> the Prince of Darkness. So, yeah. Well, you know, I think, exactly. you know, Musk, when he, uh, you know, did Tesla, it just, it just completely tipped over the car world and forced it, forced the moment. Um, and I think that's yeah. what we're experiencing in the vintage car world is that it is, there's this tumble happening. I don't know where it's going to end. I don't know. Maybe it ends in, you know hydrogen cells or something or you know whatever but it's 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 forcing a tumble and it's going to land somewhere interesting i think it's going to be i think it's going to be fun yeah i think is it is it hyundai i think it's hyundai released just in the last two weeks a two market hydrogen fuel cell vehicle in australia like you can buy it well, but, from I mean, hyundai. honda honda had one but you, you couldn't find places to get hydrogen is the problem yeah, there's a system that Hyundai has set up in us in in, yeah. in Australia for this now. Yeah. Obviously, it's not, but I, that's a technology I would love to see take. That was fuel off. cell. It wasn't just hydrogen powered. It was a fuel cell. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that's interesting. It's like hydrogen's really hard to handle. Um, you know, to, yeah. for people to to refuel. Um, I mean, I think it's what stored at like 10,000 PSI. So that'll be interesting in a wreck. Yeah. Something. In, yeah. That's what I keep thinking about. Oh, you got, I've got a tank back there. That's a 10,000 PSI. <laughs> Don't run into me. <laughs> just, just giant, yeah, exactly. giant flashing sign. Absolutely. Don't hit me. Yeah, we'll all die. Yeah. <laughs> I will explode. So you can imagine so, somebody yeah. pulling up at the gas station. It's, it's scary enough watching people just pump fuel. I can imagine. <laughs> oh, God. I, I just instantly went to the people that drive off with the nozzles Nozzle still in their car. Imagine doing that with hydrogen as the tank takes off across the. Yeah. Welcome to Hindenburg Fueling. Exactly. Wasn't the hydrogen that burned? It was the skin of the Hindenburg. Yeah. <laughs> you got to look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, Joe, we really appreciate you taking time and coming on the show. Um, and and again, I didn't know we. I 
had looked at your stuff for a while. I didn't really get into the the electric stuff, and I'm really glad we did because it's a very interesting emerging technology. Um, and like I, like you said, I'm sure we'll see a hundred articles coming out of SEMA now of everybody wanting to do it. But uh, I feel like you're kind of on the cusp of it and and leading. So that's really neat. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to send us some yeah. photos. What's that? Yeah, send us some photos. I want to share some photos oh, of uh, a conversion for the show. So uh, listeners, I'll try and post those on the show notes. But yeah, get those to me as soon as you can, and I'll get them posted. I'll do that. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All, All right. right, thanks a lot, man. All right. Well, we appreciate it as always. Um, uh, where can they find you if somebody wants to do this to a car or as an Avance member? I mean, I know you've got. I think they've, you've done a couple of shows there, right? You've had Avance members show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah at least a couple times. Um, yeah, we got some good eye candy to look at. So yeah, anybody's ever uh, ever passing through. Uh, Eugene, um, just please just stop by. We love we love to show people what we do. Uh, short of that, it's just vintageunderground.com. It'll get us get you there. Okay, excellent. We appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. With for this episode of the Avance Podcast, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.